0: As we have been saying for the last couple of weeks, today is the day that we sit down with Billy Moore. Billy Moore wrote a book called Until the Lion Speaks, and he is most known for an interaction that he had as a 16-year-old with Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson, otherwise known as Benji, um, is... Is the reason, really, that we know Billy Moore in this way, in this day, as we do. And so I should tell you more about who Ben Wilson was as we begin this conversation with Billy Moore. Ben Wilson was born on March 18th of 1967. He died on November 21st of 1984. He played basketball at Simeon Vocational High School and was regarded as the top high school player in the United States. He was the first Chicago athlete to receive this honor. He was born in 1967, was raised in Chatham on Chicago's south side. He began playing basketball in elementary school. As his game developed, his friends and family began to notice his talent and thought they could make him one of the best in the sport. They protected him as athletes were protected back in that day from all the violence and all the things that were going on in the street. It was the time of a nationwide crack epidemic. And some of the people who were closest to Benji, including his older brother Curtis, became addicted. In the fall of 1981, he became a freshman at Simeon High School. Simeon's coach then was Bob Hambrick. And those of us who who know um, high school basketball – who know Simeon and know Coach Hambrick, know that he didn't start freshman. Uh, even Derrick Rose, as great as he was and as great as he is, did not play on Simeon's varsity team as a freshman. He didn't play until a sophomore. Until he was a sophomore. So during the 82-83 season, Benji was the only sophomore on the varsity basketball team. With Wilson at the helm, Simeon defeated West Aurora High School by nine points in the semifinals and then they beat top ranked Evanston Township to win their first ever state title. Benji was regarded as the best junior in the country for the 83 84 season, and people described him as Magic Johnson with a jump shot. He went to a camp with the Athletes for Better Education in Princeton, New Jersey in 1984, where he was ranked the number one high school player in the nation. As this camp invited the best players in the nation there. On November twentieth, nineteen eighty-four, Benji decided against having lunch with his teammates because he wanted to walk to talk to his girlfriend, Jatoon Rush, with whom he had been having some issues. They had conceived a child in early nineteen eighty four, a son named Brandon, and Jatoon was upset and wouldn't let Benji speak to either her or let him see the child. Meanwhile, Calumet High School student Billy Moore was outside Simeon's campus for a reason that I won't even talk about now that Billy's here. I'll let Billy kind of tell the story. So, Billy, welcome to WVON.
1: Thanks for having me, Mr. Williams.
0: It's... um, It's an interesting place to be, and I recall the first time, I think I shared this with you, the first time that I saw you, it was at an event that Arnie Duncan had down at at the Harris Center. And I recall you standing on stage, and when you began to talk, and this was, he had mayors of cities there, and we're talking about gun violence. Mm -hmm. Um, Gun violence seems to still permeate so much of our society, but we're talking about it then, and different people came up to speak on different terms, and then this gentleman came up, um, with a beard and a bald head, and he stood there, and he commented on the fact that he was the guy who killed Ben Wilson. And I was stunned to the back of my chair. And like so many others, I played basketball in high school, and we always, I walked through three gang territories to get home, never got harmed. Uh, the buses, I was grew up on the west side, went to Orr. The buses would get robbed after the basketball games, but never when the team was on. It was either the buses before or the buses after. The athletes had immunity. People didn't bother athletes because they knew who you were. But it changed that day. It changed on November the 20th of 1984 because suddenly athletes no longer had immunity. So, Billy, my first question to you is, how did it feel to be the most hated man in America when that happened to Benji Wilson, who was so well-known and this was so well-publicized in so many places?
1: Oh, it definitely wasn't a good feeling. Um, Understanding the circumstances that led up to the incident uh, and how people felt about what happened, the ultimate outcome of Benji losing his life, you know, was not a good feeling. Uh, To know that the whole city and possibly the whole country, you know, had a a feeling towards me that, was definitely I would say hatred Um, so you know to to your point I think athletes will always have a certain amount of protection but you know Chicago is kind of unique in a way that like you mentioned walking the school through three different gang territories it's a a legacy unfortunately in Chicago of, of a gang culture that exists and you know if one has the opportunity not to be touched or influenced by that gang culture, that's, that's, you beating the odds. Uh, but I think to some degree we all have been affected by it or influenced by it. Even with the protection, you may not even be an active gang member or have any involvement, but whatever community you come from, if they know you're an athlete, that gang probably will protect you, you know. So that's just the uniqueness of Chicago's community coming up in, in our urban community right. of Chicago, the legacy uh, uh, of Chicago. Uh, and this, you know, Chicago, they say, has 77 communities. But it's only 15 communities that's really suffering uh, from gun violence. So when you look at the 15 communities that are suffering from gun violence, More likely, those are the 15 communities that's that's deeply rooted in gang culture. But there's also other things that's going on, the reason why we see uh, a high rate of gun violence in these particular communities, because these particular communities are the ones that's most neglected and disinvested in. The social and economic standard of these communities doesn't rise to a level that can help people uh, in ways that we are not affected by gun violence
0: and yeah. other and I'm, issues. Right, and I want to get to that broader issue of gun violence, but I want to talk first about you, Billy Moore, and let's get closer into that and uh, what you have in your book. And, Billy, I wanted to go back to the first question I asked. I really want to know, you were 16 years old. Mm-hmm. When did you realize, did you know who Ben Benji was when you had that encounter with him? That I day? didn't. You did not know no, who he I was. Didn't. Okay, um, so at what point did you learn who he was?
1: uh at, I think when I left uh Simeon and went to my cousin's house, it was on the news,
0: okay.
1: and that's when I seen you know the news reports about Benji and who he was, and you know pretty much what he meant to Simeon. uh So at that time, before then, I had no idea who he was. I just knew he was a a tall dude. That was aggressive, who pretty much I was just in this conflict with.
0: And so when you realized who he was, how did you feel?
1: Well, honestly, I felt bad not even knowing who he was, just understanding what had just happened. But seeing the news coverage, it it became a a deeper level of of anxiety, a deeper level of fear, a deeper level of uh, panic, because him being who he was and the way it was being reported and sensationalized, you know it just made me feel like I was the most wanted person on the planet, so that's not that's nowhere close to having the best feeling of your mm-hmm. life, you know, knowing that you know the police is looking for you, and I think the the worst feeling or worst thinking that I had could result in me not surviving this situation based off all the attention that was being generated and and reported, that was being reported on once Benji was shot.
0: So, well, then let's go right there. I mean, the title of your book is Until the Lion Speaks, Mm -hmm. which is based on an African proverb, which you mentioned in the the book, Until the Lion Speaks, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. So, Lion, tell us um, what happened. On that fateful day, what happened in your encounter with Benji that led to him being
1: shot by you? So I was up at Simeon uh, for a situation that took place with my cousin okay. the week before that. She was at Mr. Head's store, the school store, playing a video game or an arcade game. And some guy walked up from behind her and took money out of her purse. Okay, And when she realized what was going on, she turned and asked the guy, you know, for her money. And basically he told her if she wanted her money to come get it and put it down in front of his pants. So when she came home and informed me and her brother what had happened, we decided that we was going to go up to Simeon and get our money back. When we went up to Simeon, I I ran into a guy who I had known, known from the neighborhood who pretty much knew everybody in the neighborhood, and he told me don't worry about it and gave my cousin $20. It was like $10 she had got, took, but he gave her $20. So, so the situation is now resolved. The situation is now resolved. Uh, so maybe, and this, I had went up to Simeon about 9, 9.30. This situation didn't happen until like 12 o'clock lunchtime. Okay. So we was up there. You up there first up.
0: thing in the morning looking for this guy to revenge. and exactly. get your sister's stuff. Your cousin's My stuff. My
1: cousin's stuff. Uh, uh, Theft, right. So... Um, I met up with a young lady who used to date my cousin uh, and waited for her to come outside the school, and we walked up towards the same school the same school store that my cousin. My other cousin had her money taken from her. Mm-hmm. It's the head store. So she went in, and as I'm standing out there next to a young lady named Kim and, uh, and, and Omar who was with me, I got shoved from behind, just pushed out the way. And I fell into Kim. And because of the fence that was standing uh, right next to Kim, that's what broke my fall as well as Kim. That I was pushed that hard from behind. So when I gathered myself and looked up, the guy kept walking. And when I looked. Didn't
0: say excuse me, didn't nothing. He didn't say excuse
1: me anything. He just kept walking. And he was with a young lady. He was tall. I mean, the tallest human I've ever seen in my life. How tall are you? At that time, I was 5'6". I'm 5'10 now. Okay. I was like 135 pounds. 5'6",
0: 135. Yeah. Okay, and you see the tallest guy you've seen who just tallest pushed you guy. hard in yeah. the back. tallest okay. guy
1: I've ever seen. Uh, you know, in Chicago, you know, you have this um, way of not feeling like can't nobody punk you. Uh, you, you you're not going to accept any form of disrespect. So... Basically, since he kept walking, I asked him, was he going to say excuse me? And Benji turned around and then no certain terms told me he wasn't offering up any apology.
0: You can imagine what those two words were.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, you know, me standing there feeling like I had been, you know, punk and now being bullied. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to defend myself or speak up for myself. So.
0: It were a lot of people watching. You felt that people were watching. a lot
1: of people watching, and the the exchange became very aggressive, especially from Benji's standpoint. Uh, and basically, you know, me having this gun on me, it felt like okay, if he see the gun, then maybe, you know, so you had
0: a, you had a gun with you to avenge
1: absolutely your cousin. Yep, and that's you know, and, and, and this is the thing that. You know, I try to tell young people now, when you carry guns, you get gun problems. Mm -hmm. If you think that a gun is going to solve a problem, it's going to create a problem Mm -hmm. that maybe you won't walk away from, whether that be, you know, going to jail for possibly the rest of your life or even losing your life. I was 16 years old, so, of course, I didn't have the emotional maturity of really understanding what type of impact carrying a gun could have on my life. Right. I know people deal with situations different (laughs) when they have or don't have a gun. Yeah. And it wasn't as if I had any intention on using a gun. I just thought that a gun would be an intimidating factor.
0: So the gun gave you courage in that moment. I'm not even saying it was
1: courage. I just thought that Initially, going up there, I would be able to get the the money back. Okay, intimidate a person not to. Help so you took it, it for
0: intimidation yourself to get exactly. back what you came for. So you've got this gun to intimidate this guy who's taking your cousin's money and get it back. You're pushed by Benji um, in the store. Benji does not apologize, mm-hmm. and he turns around and says something to you that is even more disrespectful
1: mm-hmm.
0: than just having pushed you. What's your reaction?
1: My reaction is definitely uh, a form of intimidated because of his size and his aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I really don't want a physical confrontation. So at that point, when, when 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 the disrespect just got to the point of bully, I I decided to unzip my jacket just so he would see the gun. Okay thinking that that would just basically put some type of damper on the level of aggression that he's showing. But at that point, Benji basically saw the gun and asked me, what was I going to do, shoot him? And his girlfriend, Jatan, she became very hysterical when she saw the gun and was trying to pull Benji away. So I'm stepping back, and Benji basically snatches away from Jaton and I tell Benji, don't walk up on me. And he asked me again, what you going to do? Shoot me. You know, I'm all kind of punks and this, that, and other. And when, once he snatched away from her again, you know, and lunged towards me, I pulled the gun out and shot Benji twice and then ran.
0: So did you feel that he was coming to do harm to you in that moment?
1: Absolutely. I felt, I felt that he was coming to do harm to me, and I also felt like, under no circumstances can I lay, let him take the gun away from me, and possibly shoot me with my own gun. So, at that moment, I felt like I had to do what I needed to do to protect myself.
0: So, when you flashed the gun, what you wanted him to do if was apologize?
1: Not. It wasn't even apologize. That wasn't even a question at that time. Just to bag up.
0: Okay. So he was coming towards you when you flashed the gun.
1: Absolutely. I had to step back so okay. that he could see it. It, it wasn't like I had the gun in my hand or that was the first thought that came to my mind was to pull this gun out. Mm-hmm.
0: But you knew that you had it,
1: obviously. Oh, no doubt.
0: So um, so he pushes you. You show him the gun. He's coming towards you. You show him the gun, and he's already amped up. So exactly. his question at 6'8", and almost 200 pounds, to this five six one 135-pound guy, is what you're going to do, shoot me. Exactly. And because he's still... Coming aggressive towards you, you take out the gun, and you shoot him. Yes. Twice. Yes. And then you take off.
1: Then I take off.
0: And that's how you ended up at your cousin's house? You I got a to.
1: ride from a guy who was in the community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, we, Me and Omar ran past his house okay. and asked him, man, can you give us a ride?
0: He had no idea what you. What he had, had no
1: idea what was going on. <laughs> okay. So he gave us a ride um, and dropped us off. Once, I want to say 79th and Racine, mm-hmm. and me and Omar mm-hmm. part ways and I jumped on the bus and rode down to my cousin's house. And once I got in, it was like news breaks. I hadn't even told my cousin what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm just all messed up in the head behind what's going on. And then once I see that this situation is all on the news or what I had just done, mm-hmm. my anxiety level was just... I couldn't even explain. I've never felt that type of level of anxiety in my life.
0: So um, who's Omar?
1: Omar is my co-defendant.
0: Right. Omar Omar Dixon.
1: Omar Dixon. Omar went to jail. Uh, And basically, it was three of us who they arrested. It was a guy by the name of Leonard Woodlock. Okay. Omar Dixon and myself. I was the last to be arrested. I think Leonard was the first. Okay. Leonard signed a statement stating that Omar went in Benji's pockets. Jatan also testified to that. That wasn't true. Omar just stood in the grass while this whole incident played out. Had not that been a part of the scenario, I wouldn't have been charged with first-degree murder. Hmm. I probably would have been charged with manslaughter and did no more than four to five years in prison because it was a, a conflict it was a confrontation between me and Benji but due to the fact that they co-horsed Pancho, which is Leonard Woodlock and had Jatan lie on the stand and say that oh my word in Benji's pocket now I became attempted armed robbery which means that in the commission of that felony I shot Benji which resulted in his death so now I was charged with first degree murder and attempted armed robbery
0: so um How big is Omar?
1: At the time, Omar was probably 5'10".
0: So a little bigger than you. Yeah. But not 6'7", 6'8". No, not at all. Not not at all. Okay. So the thought that he would have gone in his pocket probably. And then,
1: you know, like I told you, we had been up at Simeon since 9 o'clock. Right. We had just been hanging out. So it don't make no sense for us to wait for the tallest dude on campus three hours later to just rob in front of the, the school Store during lunchtime at 12 o'clock while everybody walking back and forth. Yeah. But that's what we were charged with, attempted robbery and first-degree murder.
0: So where'd you get the gun?
1: The gun belonged to an aunt of mine, and I knew that she had hid this gun under her mattress. Okay. So basically, I knew where it was at.
0: (laughs) You knew where a gun was. Yeah. She didn't know you had it. She didn't know I had it. You took the gun and went up there. Um, So were you in a gang absolutely you were in a gang at the time how long had you been in a gang
1: I would say my gang membership at that time was probably maybe close to two years you been in but a gang when I, two I years. But, but, but when I say I was in a gang right you know I wasn't actively out there shooting people robbing people I was in a gang because I grew up in a neighborhood called Foster Park mm-hmm. and, and Foster Park is a very popular neighborhood in Chicago uh, that park, I went to as a kid playing baseball. I went to school. To my first school I ever went to was Paul Cuffey. It was right okay. across the street from Foster Park. It's no longer right there any longer. It's, they they built a whole new Paul Cuffey, But at the time I was going to Paul Cuffey, which was on 83rd and Justine, and it's right across the street from the park. So everybody that went to that school lived around the park. So right. I knew everybody. Good. But I think around the time I turned 14, 15, the end of the park that I grew up in was basically identified as being separate from the other side of the park. So basically, because I lived on this side of the park, I had problems going on the other side of the park. So, of course, in order for me to feel protected, I joined up.
0: So it was territorial? Absolutely. Which, what, what was the name of your game?
1: I was uh, a disciple and ended up becoming a gangster disciple.
0: So the gangs are really fragmented nowadays. Were they fragmented then?
1: Nah, they weren't fragmented. They was very much, uh, I, I would say, you know, gangs in Chicago started identifying themselves as nations. So you had uh, structure, mm-hmm. you had identified leaders, you had neighborhoods that basically dominated You know, by a particular gang or organization. Uh, It it wasn't as structured and splendid today. You had whole chunks of neighborhoods that you can go blocks and blocks and miles and miles and and be, you know, insulated within that particular street organization.
0: But your reason for being in a gang then is no different than a lot of young people join gangs today. It was for protection. For protection. protection. In your neighborhood. And so this is my crew that I hang with, and that's the gang you were with. Had you shot anyone before that? No, sir. So this is the thing with guns, and it's the thing that we talk about, right? It's one of the things that I talk to young people on the west side about. Because if you have one, you've got to be willing to use it. Yes. And if you're not willing to use it, you shouldn't have it. Exactly. And so in your case, though, you're 16. And so in that moment, you're just going to do what you're going to do. You don't plan to use it. Except you had it. Exactly. And once you show it, now something's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think about what my grandfather told me when I saw him cleaning his gun. He told me, you never pull a gun on somebody and don't use it. I think about Adam Taleo, oh. uh the young 13-year-old yeah. kid, was just killed by the police. Right. He had a gun. And because he had a gun, he, he posed a threat. And, of course, what we see is that he threw the gun. Right, and he turned around with his hands up, but a split second decision from the police turned deadly because we knew he had the gun. So, like I say, you get you you pick up guns, you get gun problems, mm-hmm. and guns don't they don't do anything positive or bring anything positive to the community. You know, when we have in Chicago. So many people dying because of gun violence. We just had a seven-year-old child be murdered because of gun violence. Chicago has been plagued with gun violence for over 50-some years. They say we haven't had less than 400 homicides since 1965 in Chicago. So we have a problem with guns, and particularly young people. Who carry
0: guns, particularly young people who carry guns, and we already know that the brain does not develop until you're 25, 25. years old. So um, it's a huge problem, mm-hmm. and one that we've talked about on these airwaves, and will continue to until we figure out how to arrest mm-hmm. this issue. Certainly, as it impacts our community. But Billy, tell me, tell me more about who Billy Moore is. So coming up to that point, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your family. Tell mm-hmm. us about who is Billy Moore before this encounter on this fateful day on November 20th?
1: Well, I grew up in Auburn-Gresham. My family moved into the house that they purchased in 1968 when I was six months old. Before then, my family grew up in uh, the Bronzeville area. My father, uh, who passed away when I was 15, he was 34 years old. Wow. He was in the game. My father grew up right around the time the Blackstone Rangers started forming. He was a Blackstone Ranger. But then, at a certain point, he became conscious and became a Black Panther. Hmm. My father was a Black Panther, uh, and he remained active until a few years after Chairman Fred Hampton was assassinated. Uh, My mother, she went to uh, uh, Calumet High School. Uh, She worked hard. My mother and father, they separated when I was like three years old. But my father was still very active in my life. But due to the fact that, you know, I was living with my mother and basically I grew up uh, under the extended family with with my grandmother and grandfather and my mother because she was young when she had me. My mother was 16 years old. Okay. But she finished high school. uh, She went to school at night. Um, So basically, you know, I, I was grown up under the extended family while my mother was out working to support me. My father... Although they were separated, he was still involved, you know, I would see my father. We had a relationship. Mm -hmm. But growing up uh, on the south side of Chicago, uh, my grandparents, my grandfather and grandmother still worked at the time. So, you know, we grew up, I had a lot of friends Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, you know, my interest was definitely baseball because my father played baseball. His brother actually played in the Negro Leagues. Mm, okay. Yeah, his name was Lawrence Moore. He came up right after Ernie Banks was called up wow. uh, and took his place as shortstop for the Kansas City Monarchs. Mm. He played in the United States military over okay. in Panama and then ended up working 30 years in the Cook County Jail as a sheriff. Uh, I could have did better in school if I applied myself. <laughs> uh, but, you know... That was my life. I was just a normal Southside kid growing up in Chicago uh, until around the time, you know, 13, 14, when I just became very much aware of the neighborhood dynamics of Mm -hmm. where you could and couldn't go, where you were safe and where you wasn't safe, and how to protect yourself, you know, by making sure that, you know, you you, you, with the right guys, you know. and, and and that's just the way it became. Uh, but I wasn't like I said, I wasn't out there, you know, robbing people or shooting people, anything like that. Uh, but definitely, understand gang culture, understand the spirit of brotherhood or fraternity. It's mm-hmm. no different than being a police or being in a fraternity. You you're a part of something that, you know, the group identity kind of, you know touches you in a way to where you want to live up to that identity as an individual. And uh, you dedicate yourself to, to this. It's, it's something you're a part of.
0: You, you have brothers that? and sisters?
1: I have a sister, a younger sister. Okay. But I have a lot of cousins. But I was the second oldest grandchild, and I have maybe ten cousins that came directly behind me.
0: Okay. So it was a it was a normal childhood as we know it. You had uh, both mom and dad around in different ways. You were with your extended family, with your grandmother and grandfather. So all the influences that would be there were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Auburn Gresham then wasn't Auburn Gresham today. Although mm-hmm. gangs were starting to come in, I think back about the uh, Black P-Stone Nation, and I remember watching with with uh, with awe when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. Um, you know, watching them. And watching gangs as they were back then, and the vice lords became the conservative vice lords Mm -hmm. and became something different in the community than just gangbangers, but really working to improve the community. And your dad, who was then in the Peace stone Nation, became a Black Panther, Mm -hmm. which was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. So they were much different than we've been been led to believe who the Black Panthers were. They were really about the 10-point plan and trying to really help build the community, not what we learned that they were from J Edgar Hoover and what the media then exactly and what they put out so your father was part of that group so you've got positive influences you've got these things happening you're in a gang because it's how you protect yourself as for whatever reason these fractions begin to arise in the community and on this day you you steal your aunt's gun you go to get the money back from your cousin and you have this encounter with Benji, you run as you would. You learn that, one, I know I just shot somebody, so my adrenaline mm-hmm. is up by that. And worse, I have shot somebody who was revered by everyone. Um, and now this has become a much bigger deal. So I'm mm-hmm. now the most wanted and the most hated person around. And yeah. so they find you. How did they How did they find you?
1: Um,
0: how did you encounter? How did you come in contact with the police after that?
1: So I went to another aunt's house um, that stayed on 72nd and Morgan. I had called my mother because I had to talk to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to talk to mama because I didn't know how to really just get my thoughts together. Right. So when she answered the phone, I, w- I had told her, I say, you know, I, I know you've seen what's going on about the, the young guy, but Simeon, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. i done that. You know, mm-hmm. and
0: you on the phone with your mom. i on the phone with my
1: that. mother, calling her from her her youngest sister's house. Um, that was a, a a bad moment. It was a bad moment.
0: Could you tell her reaction over the phone?
1: Yes. Uh, it was so bad that you know she couldn't talk to me any longer. She dropped mm-hmm. the phone, and my grandmother picked up the phone and asked her, asked me what what was going on. So I told her to. and uh. My mother's initial reaction was to come and get me, but I told her, don't do that. Uh, honestly, I don't know how the police found me at my auntie's house, but maybe 12 o'clock that night, I hear the knock on the door. Mm. That boom, 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 you know. It's the police, and, and they arrested me at my grandmother's house. I mean, at my auntie's house.
0: What were you doing all that time in between?
1: Man... Worried out of my brain, I couldn't. I couldn't think. I couldn't rest. It was just, and then every other minute, the news was coming. I had to stop watching the TV, mm-hmm. and then eventually, I ended up telling my auntie what was going on. So I just sat there, and I think uh, Rush Ewing had came by my grandmother's house and told her that he would be willing to uh, to take you in, yeah,
0: so you could get there safely,
1: yeah, but. By that time, the police had came. A couple of hours later, we was all prepared to uh, take up Russ on his offer.
0: So he somehow knew that it was you. The word had Everybody, been out. Everybody knew that we we had done it.
1: Yeah, because I saw I, I I end up hearing on the TV we've arrested two and we're looking for the third. Uh, so and I you already, knew you were the third, so it's just I, a matter of time. Yeah.
0: So um, so you go you go to trial. Um. You and Omar both get sentenced. Mm-hmm. How much time did you get? Well, I, tell well first, before that, tell me about the trial. Tell me what happened. Was it a trial similar to what we see with Derek Chauvin, or what was your trial like when
1: you went to No, nah, my trial. So the thing about this situation, the judge, after we picked our jury, the judge told the prosecutor and my lawyer that this was not a gang-related case, and he didn't want to hear anything about gangs being mentioned in this case. Hmm. We were being charged for attempted armed robbery and first-degree murder. So...
0: Had you hired an attorney, or did you have Yes,
1: I had had a attorney. And uh, his name was Isaiah Gant, Skip Gant. Um, I remember that, the judge giving that order. But, of course, you know, everybody reported that it was a gang-related shooting. So that wasn't true. It had nothing to do with any gang activity, that led to the incident. It was a confrontation that went bad. Uh, but the judge did not want to hear anything mentioned about gangs. The trial lasted four days. The jury was out less than an hour before mm-hmm. they came back with the guilty verdict.
0: So did you plead, I guess you must have pled not guilty in yes, order to go guilty. to trial. That's just an obvious But you knew you were guilty.
1: No, it's not an obvious reason being because I didn't rob. I didn't try to attempt to rob. Got it. (laughs) I was charged with attempted armed robbery and first-degree murder. So if you had
0: been charged with manslaughter or I don't know what all the charges, second-degree murder.
1: Well, here's the legal issue, right? The legal issue is that they never brought me a plea bargain or a cop-out. They never said, hey, you take 20 years and we plead you out and you walk away and do your time. The state's attorney was definitely going to trial. They knew that they was going to get a conviction. There was too much sensationalism surrounding uh, Benji's death. Right. And rightfully so, Benji was, we, we shouldn't have lost Benji. I'm a, I'm a Benji continue. was an
0: icon. Benji was yes. Kevin Garnett before Kevin Garnett.
1: No, Benji was Michael Jordan.
0: Benji was Michael Jordan. Benji was everything. Benji was
1: probably better than Michael Jordan. Wow. And I think that people don't understand there's no dispute about Michael Jordan being the best basketball player. Had Benji lived, that conversation wouldn't have been, hmm. <laughs> you know, solidified. It would have been Benji Mike. Benji would have pushed Mike. Mike probably would have pushed Benji. So I understand the loss because had I not had this confrontation with Ben Wilson, never met him, and Benji went on to live to be as great as we all thought he would have, I would have been a, one of his biggest fans. Mm-hmm. I would have took ownership in Benji's success, being a Chicago kid. You know, I love sports. Um, so it's very unfortunate that I'm at the heart of the fact that Benji lost his life and. That meant so much to Chicago and the loss that we all suffered.
0: Yeah. ESPN's 30 for 30, this one episode on Benji, was one of the most watched episodes. Mm -hmm. So certainly watching it and appreciating his life, how it developed, and how great he was at that time. It was really fascinating just to see how great he was at that time. And they told the story, Mm -hmm. just watching it. And they came and showed pretty much what you just described as this encounter that you two had. Um, and I asked you earlier, and you described it, so what they showed us then was effectively what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and even had you, as they were bringing you into the police station, in the end was really um, concerning on, on every level, but a real true depiction of time. It has been a great morning, a great morning of time to spend with uh, with Billy, uh, to share his story. And the question that I asked at the top, is do you believe in redemption, and are you judged by your worst act? I think that question's been answered. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Go out. Be great. Billy, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh,
1: Mr. Williams, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you.